Please turn in your uh, scriptures to John uh, chapter 12. John chapter 12. Uh, We're going to be reading verses 12 through 36. Verses 12 uh, through 36. I did want to just uh, inform the church uh, briefly, uh, just to make sure that you're in prayer uh, for Miss uh, Karen Frazier. Uh, Some of you may have may remember Miss Karen. Uh, She's been battling MS for the last uh, for many years, but really hardly for the last five. Um, She is kind of near death's door. Uh, the Lord will probably call her home either tonight or tomorrow morning. Uh, so just be praying for um, Karen and her, and her mother, uh, Mrs. Betty Green. So I'm going to read uh, John uh, chapter 12, uh, verses 12 through 36, and then I'm going to open this up and pray before we dig into the Word. John 12, verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it. And as it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was crucified, was glorified, did they realize that these things had been written about him, and they had done these things to him. Now the crowd that was with him, when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is going, getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was, with, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew, and Andrew and Philip to, in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it. And I will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said had heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said that this voice was from your for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Christ will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, You are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. The man who walks in the dark does not know where he is going. Put your trust in the light while you have it, that you may become sons of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left 
and hid himself from them. Let's pray. Blessed be your name, O Lord. Blessed be your name. Father, we pray that you would give us a blessing, God. That you would fill us now with the power of the Holy Spirit, that we may be able to see and to hear what you would have for us in your word. God, I pray for the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, that they be pleasing in thy sight, my Lord, my rock, and my Redeemer. God, we want to hear a word from you. Father, I pray that you let us drown out the voices that are not your voice. God, let us hear a word by the power of your Spirit to our hearts this morning. God, we, we love you, and we want to worship you. Father, we pray specifically now for Ms. Karen Fraser as she's uh, battling uh, death. God, we thank you for the testimony of her, of her faith in Jesus, that you have overcome the grave. God, we pray for the family. Uh, we pray that you will, will allow them to grieve as those who have hope, hope in the life to come. Father, I pray that you would allow her to hear those beautiful words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. So God, we pray you be merciful and kind to Karen and her family today. Let her um, make it till tonight where her sister, Kathy, will be able to, to be with her. God, we, um, we pray for our church. Uh, we pray that you would bring people uh, this coming Easter, that they may hear your word and be saved, God. We want people to be saved, Lord. God, we cry out to you, God, Lord, save, save, Lord. Lord, you're, you're, you say in your word that you desire all peoples to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So God, we, we, we beg you now, God, we beg you to save Save people, God. Cross them from death to life. But God, not only here, we pray that for all over our city. God, we specifically pray this morning for Scott Davis at Northside Baptist Church. God, we pray you bless his ministry. Bless, his, bless the word that he preaches this morning, that people would be filled with the Spirit of God, that they would walk more in faithfulness and holiness. God, we also just pray for our world. Uh, God, with so much happening, God, we pray that you bring a revival God, bring a revival in this world where people will see Jesus as he is. God, bless us now as we uh, dig into your word. Uh, fill us, encourage us um, the only way that you can. Uh, we ask this in the name of our great Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, well, beloved, uh, it is a great privilege and joy uh, to be here today uh, to, to celebrate uh, Palm Sunday. Uh, when I think about uh, Palm Sunday, often we think about the triumphal entry that we saw of these children. Uh, but I think it's a good sign that we had rain this morning and that we had lots of it. Uh, we got wet. We woke up to a darkness. Uh, because when we think about Jesus entering into Jerusalem, uh, we should think more about darkness. Because that's why he came. He came uh, as our king. But he came to die as our king. Early on in my marriage, uh, my wife and I w- would eat out more often. Uh, now with children, it's almost a pain to go out uh, because the kids would frustrate you to the point that it's no longer enjoyable. Well, early on in our marriage, we went to Outback. Uh, my, my parents were in town, so we decided to, to, go, to go to Outback, and I picked up my dad from the airport, and we got to Outback, and I didn't find my wife. So I called her, Ellen, where are you? She goes, I'm at Outback. I said, no, you're not. I'm at Outback. I'm at this outback, <laughs> which was about 35 minutes away. Uh, driving through D.C. traffic was not enjoyable. 
uh, me and my wife crossed signals. We misunderstood what outback we were speaking of. And I think the reason why I start there is because Jesus is often misunderstood. Uh, People don't understand the way Jesus has shown himself in the scriptures. And if you don't see Jesus rightly, you will not get to the right Jesus. Uh, So this morning, we're going to look at who Jesus is, because the details are important. So if you want to follow along on the outline provided for you on the back of your uh, bulletin, that first point, uh, Jesus came to reign over us as our king. Jesus came to reign over us as our king. So when Jesus entered in Jerusalem, you see a lot of different crowds and people responding to this Jesus. Uh, The the first one, you see these, these crowds. Go back to verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. So these people are already there. They're already worshiping. They're following the religious law, and they heard Jesus was coming. So they went out to meet him, and they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting. They they were shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna means salvation now. They thought the king, the Messiah, was coming. We know that from the next line when it says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. That's a direct quote from Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26. Uh, the idea in the Scriptures, when you, hear, when you see he who comes in the name of the Lord, that is a reference to the Messiah. So the people who were coming believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Often, as, as just like Peter did, when, when Peter looked at, at his disciples and said, Who do you say that I am? And Peter stood up and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But I don't think they fully understood what that really meant. I mean, Jesus did. Verse 14, Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it. And as it is written, a quote from Zechariah 9.9, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. So Jesus is saying, crowds, you are right. I am the king prophesied centuries before, I will come entering in Jerusalem on a donkey's colt. So these crowds, who were they? Who were these people coming? We'll skip down to verse 17. It says, Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. So the reason why these people were coming to Jesus, thinking that he was the Messiah, was because people saw him bring someone back, someone from the dead. That's a pretty good reason to to think he was the Messiah. And these people who saw it, they were telling everybody. Jesus, Lazarus was dead, man. He was in the tomb for four days. Jesus said, come out, and he came out. He was alive. Can you believe it? Jesus, he brings back the dead. If you heard that, would you go out? I would. But not only did you see this crowd, you also see his disciples in verse 16. It says, at first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and they had done these things to him. The best thing we can say about the disciples, kind of continuing throughout the gospel, is that they were a bit confused. They they, they were kind of foggy. They were clouded. They didn't fully understand who Jesus was. I mean, they saw the miracles. They saw him feed the 5,000. 
They saw him raise Lazarus from the dead, but they didn't really understand who this Jesus was. Was he truly the king of Israel? But not only do we see the, the disciples there, we also see the Pharisees. Now, this, this is not a, a, a kind section in the Scriptures to the Pharisees. So if you identify with the Pharisees, as sometimes I often do, I, I pray you will forgive me. Amen? Amen. Said in love. But look what the Pharisees do in verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone out after him. See, right after Jesus Christ raised Lazarus from the dead, instead of being in awe, asking them the question, who is among us? Has God visited us? Is this the prophet who was to come? The Pharisees wanted to kill Jesus. But they didn't want to only kill Jesus. They wanted to kill Lazarus. Why? It says it right there. This is getting us nowhere. See, these Pharisees were driven for their own name for their own glory. We are losing our crowd. The world is going out to him. We must stop it. They were losing their powers. They were focused on themselves and their own power, and they missed the glory of God. As a pastor uh, recently said that one of the church members relayed to me, he said this, we all want progress but not change. We all want progress, but not change. Now, beloved, change is not all good. Change is not all bad. See, but these Pharisees were focusing on the change and how it affected them. This change is not good for me. It's not good for us. And you know what they did? They missed the glory of God. Now, as a young pastor, I've made changes I will make more changes because I'm trying to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit and lead and govern this church well. Now, you have, you have an opportunity, right, to, to see those changes and think about how that change affects me and the people that you care about and potentially could miss the glory of God. Or you can ask, Lord, how does this change reveal your glory? What are you doing here? Because I'm not sure if you have felt it, but what I have felt, I have felt the presence of God in the sanctuary. I have felt the Holy Spirit drawing people to Himself. I see that happening in our church. Do you see it? Because if you don't see it, you may be worried more about how changes affect your own heart than they do the glory of God. See, but the Pharisees were right. They said the world was going out to Jesus. The world was. Look at verse 20. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. Now this is probably not Jews who were worshiping in in Jerusalem. The word would probably be Hellenist. But we see Greeks, they were people who were God-fearers. They were there to worship. And what did they say? They went up to Philip and they said, Sir, we would like to see Jesus. And I think that is, that, that is the heartbeat of how you should respond to when, when the king enters. When, when the, the, the king of Israel entered into Jerusalem, I think you want your heart to be, I want to see Jesus. I don't want to see Jesus as, as I think he is. I want to see him as he tells me he is in his word. 
What does the Word of God say about who Jesus is? Jesus came to reign over us as our King. But we must remember that Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom is a different kind of kingdom. In order for the King of Israel to reign over us as our King, He needed to die in order that we could become part of His kingdom. So that second point, Jesus came to die for us as our substitute. Jesus came to die for us as our substitute. Verse 23 is probably one of the most important verses in the Bible for you and for me. So these Greeks said, I want to see Jesus. The disciples turned and told Jesus, and this is Jesus' reply. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. All throughout the, of the Gospels, you see these, these people trying to exert their force on Jesus to make him Messiah, to kill him. And Jesus just kind of walked through him. Nothing happened to him. But Jesus says, now the time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I love that. You know, I love it's game time, right? The time is now. And then we jump down to verse 27 because we see how this was going to happen. Verse 27, now my heart is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Now, most often, you probably have heard a lot of pastors in, in your time in churches, uh, the, the week before uh, Easter and, and going on to Good Friday, you talk a lot about the, the physical things that happened to Jesus during the crucifixion. Uh, we, we talk about how, the, how, the, how, how big the nails were and how, how long he hung on the cross and the anguish of the, the whips upon his back and being spit upon. Awful, awful humiliation that our Lord suffered on our behalf. But I don't think any of that any of that pales in comparison to what happens in verse 27 when he says, my soul is troubled. There is anguish. There is deep emotional pain in his heart. Now, those of you know the I, better than I what a real emotional pain is, losing someone you love that you've spent your life with. You know that pain. Imagine that and ratchet up, ratchet up a hundredfold. That's the anguish that's going on in our Lord. It's painful. He knew what was coming. He knew that he was going to die, but not only he was going to face the physical death, he was going to be separated from God. He was going to be forsaken. The first time in his life, he would not have felt the presence of his Father. We even know this is a prayer, because he says, Father, Save me from this hour. It's verses like this, beloved, that we believe that we, have a, we, we serve a Trinitarian God. This is, this is not God speaking to God. It's God the Father and God the Son. God the Son speaking to God the Father. They were different, distinct, yet same God. But I love this because Jesus said, Father, save me from this hour. Then he answered his own question. He immediately said, no, this is why I came. You ever have those moments when you're struggling, you're battling with temptation, and you want to give up, but you answer your own question? I know I have that. As soon as I verbalize it, it's like the Lord just kind of convicts me. You don't want to go there. This is the way you want to go. You want to obey me. You want to follow me. Because why did Jesus come? 
He came to do the will of the Father. His whole life was wrapped up in doing the glory of God. Has God ever asked you to do something hard? Has he ever asked you to extend forgiveness to someone who has hurt you? Or endure a job that is just difficult? Or to live with a spouse that is unbearable? Don't laugh. We know who you are. But I mean, listen. God asked us to do hard things. And you know why he can? Not only that he made you, he asked his son to do it. The hardest thing that any man ever did was bearing the sins of the world. And God said, go. Be sacrificed. Be crucified. So if God can ask his son to do hard things, he can ask you. So stop putting up a fight when God asks you to do hard things. Surrender your will to him and obey like our Lord Jesus did. But look at how the Father responded. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it. Referring to the time in Jesus' life. All the miracles and the wonders that God did through Jesus. He, he glorified him. The Spirit was upon Jesus. But not only in what happened in the past, he says, and will glorify it again. So Jesus was going to die. But he knew that death was not his final resting place, did he? He knew that there was going to be a resurrection. It was going to be painful, but the resurrection would come. And we need to think about that this Easter. Think about the resurrection. But we also need to think, before we get there, about the pain. Because look what Jesus said right after that. In verse 30, Jesus said, This voice, the voice of the Father, was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time of judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He says, the reason why God just spoke to me was not for me, beloved. It was for you. It was for your sake. Why? Because the prince of this world, the devil, is now condemned. He stands in judgment. And the NIV says in verse 32, but I, I think probably more accurate would be, and I. Right? It's not anything different. That Satan will be condemned. How is Satan condemned? Verse 32, I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. What is he talking about? He's talking about being lifted up on the cross. And isn't that the great image? Don't we love how, how Jesus' arms were stretched wide? He said, when I am lifted up, when I am bearing the sins of the world, he says, I will draw all men to myself. The only way that you can get to the Father is through Jesus. And look how wide his arms are. Look how open they are. Anyone in the whole entire world can come. It doesn't matter what your sins are. It doesn't matter how bad you think you are. Jesus opens his arms and says, come. Come, all men, come. Does that mean all men are saved? No. You have to come. He's calling. He's drawing, right? I mean, do, 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 you, do you realize that the king 
The king of Israel came to die in your place. The scripture says your sin deserves to be punished by death in an eternal hell. And Jesus took it. He took your sins. He took your death and gave you his perfect life. So when God now looks at you, believer, he sees someone who's perfect, who's righteous, who's forgiven. Amen. The last point. Jesus came to redeem us as our Savior. Jesus came to redeem us as our Savior. One of the things that I think is probably the most misunderstood thing in our culture uh, uh, is about the calling of the Christian disciple. We often speak in ways that Jesus calls us to himself individually. But Jesus wants to do more than just call you individually. He's called you to a body. Jesus is about redeeming a people for himself. Listen to Titus chapter 1, chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, like I just said, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, right? That's what he did. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people, a people, a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. In your evangelism, when you talk to your family and neighbors, one of the things that I often hear, I'm sure you do as well, is, man, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. You ever heard that? Man, I'm spiritual, I'm not religious. Man, I'm down with Jesus, I'm just not down with organized religion. That's just wrong. <laughs> you cannot be, listen, we follow a religion. I know for, for generations we were taught that Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship, right? It is a relationship with God. But you know what, beloved? It's also a religion. We have rules. We have ordinances, baptism, the Lord's Supper that God gave to the church to, to do. In an article uh, in USA Today uh, a couple days ago, it said relationships are the new religion. And I was just, I was struck because so many people believe that. If you're under the age of 30, you believe that uh, what's the most important thing in your life is relationships. So I don't need to go to church. I don't need to submit to church authority. I don't need to, to gather and, and hear the word. All I need is a good couple of close friends that I can eat with and hang out with. Someone who I share a common interest with. These are my, my kayaking buddies. Uh, these are my, it's my supper club. That's what I need. That's my, my, my religion is my relationship with the people that I know. But in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, if you love those who only love you, what reward will you get? Don't tax collectors do that? If you care for only those who, who look like you, what reward will you get? Aren't the pagans doing that? That is a pagan philosophy. And you know why they don't want, and I understand it, you know why they don't want to, they, they say I'm spiritual but not religious? Can I, can I step on some toes? It's because of you, church people. People don't want things to do with the church because their excuse is, I don't want to be messed with those people. 
Those hypocrites, those ones who say that they love Jesus but live a different way. Say they they love God and then slash people on Facebook. Say that they love God but then slander someone behind their back. People don't want that. God doesn't want that. He wants to purify you to be a people who are zealous for what? Good works. So that God can see those, so the world can see those good works and give glory to God. I think we just need to have a heart check, beloved. Let's look inside and ask ourselves, are we church people or are we Christians who love the Savior, who our lives are convinced that Jesus Christ is the Lord of lords and the King of kings, that he, I love him so much that I want everything in my life to please him and nothing to, to disobey him. Because if you go on and you look right here in verse 24, this is the calling of all Christians' disciples. Verse 24, I, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, speaking of himself, if, if, if believers and Christ dies, it produces many seeds. It bears fruit. The reason why Jesus Christ had to die was for your sake. If he did not die, you would never have been invited into the kingdom of God. If Jesus Christ did not die, you would still be in your sins and you'd be destined to an eternal hell. But he died. He died. And he called you. Didn't he, beloved? He said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and you will find rest. And those of you who have run to Jesus, guess what? You have found rest for your weary souls. Here's what I want as a church. I don't want us to be a bag of marbles. You know, a bag of marbles, all the marbles are in there, and no one's ever affected by each other, right? We don't, we, we're not changed by anything. The marble's a marble. I want us to be a bag full of grapes. I want us to have such close relationships with one another that we are pushed and pressed against one another, that we are formed and shaped more and more to the image of Christ because of each other, not in spite of each other. But you know what? Sometimes it's in spite of each other. Sometimes we are, we are sinners, amen? Sometimes we do things that we can't even believe that we did, that then we're too shamed that we did it to even confess it. People are going to hurt you in this church. I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to say things that are dumb. Ask my wife. She can give you personal testimony uh, to that fact. But when, when I do that, when things happen in here that, that rock the boat, how are we called to, to love? Are we called to walk away? No, we're called to press in. And I think this is the problem with people who say, I'm spiritual but not religious. You, you miss the understanding of Christianity. The calling of the Christian is to come and die. It's to lay down your desires, lay down your passions, lay down your sins for the sake of others, that they may know Jesus. And then we we end here for the sake of time. Verse 25. The man who loves his life will lose it while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. It's the idea here you see a lot in Judaism, right? These extremes. You either love God and hate this world, or you don't have God. 
That's the kind of love we need to have for God. Our love for God should be so evident that people look how much we love God that the love for everything else looks like hate. But then he says these words. Whoever serves me must follow me. And listen, and where I am, my servant also will be. You've probably heard that, that idea that where I am, it comes from First uh, John, I'm sorry, John 14, 1 through 3, you probably heard it read at several funerals. Uh, it says, let, let, your, let, let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, which he does, right? That's why he died. He, he came, he died, and he, he rose again to prepare a place for you. He said, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. See, if you give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ and you serve him by laying down your desires for the sake of others, Jesus gives you a promise that where he is, you will be. good promise. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you. We thank you for your gospel. We thank you that our king came to die, to be our sin, to redeem us, to be his people. God, help Park Baptist Church. Help us Be driven to lay down our lives for the sake of others. Let us be a church full of grapes that we press against each other because we want want more of Jesus. Let us be like the Greeks who say, I want to see Jesus. We ask this in the name of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.